0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the My Own Minds podcast. I'm your host, George, and here at My Own Minds, we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everybody and welcome back to the My Minds podcast. Um, Everyone who listened to the last episode and said those lovely messages to me again, thank you very much. Um, Today I am back on the regular routine of interviewing wonderful people and today I'm here with Joss. Hi Joss, how are you?
1: Hi, yes, thanks for having me. Um, I'm good, just uh, plugging along in third lockdown as is everyone else
0: yeah it's um it's kind of getting to the point where it's just like it's normal now like I don't it doesn't even feel weird anymore
1: tedious yeah I've kind of got this spare week before semester two starts and um it's just not being able to do anything it seems a bit pointless to have time off I'm kind of yeah, clawing at the door.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just it uh, for me. I don't know if you're the same, but it almost feel because my well, at least I imagine you're the same. If you're doing studies and stuff, a lot of the work that I'm doing is in in the same place that I'm relaxing. So it all just feels like it's just this big merge. It's just this like everything's just the same. It all just feels very samey, and every day just feels very similar. I'm really struggling yeah, to kind I, of... Yeah,
1: I think it's really hard actually when your your boundaries are kind of blurred that way and you're kind of like sitting in the same place that you're eating and working and then maybe you even work from your bedroom and then you're trying to sleep there as well. It's it's all a bit chaotic.
0: Yeah, I I just try and... Um, I have like different areas of the lounge that I sit in. So I have like, this is my seat that I'm currently in. People can't see it, but the, the seat that you see me in currently is where I do my work and do the podcast and things like that. And then I literally just sit in the, the sofa like like 10 feet away from me and I sit there when I'm relaxing and watching TV and stuff. And that, that just helps just having that slight little difference um, in like where I am. But um, anyway, um, for the people at home um who may recognize your voice from a previous video you did we recently we just looked at it and we found out that it was in june so it was a while ago um, but people may recognize you um can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do
1: yeah sure thing um, i always struggle with this question um, <laughs> so i'm currently just a postgraduate student at the university of bath i'm doing my master's in health psychology which is a kind of a branch of psychology that specializes in behaviour change and, and looking at um, health prevention, health promotion, um, why certain people can engage in um, health promoting behaviors, and why other people struggle. Um, so really, really um, kind of prevalent at the moment with the whole COVID-19 crisis and um, really this has really helped health psychologists come to the forefront. Um, Mm. A lot of them have been interviewed on the radio because things like getting people to wash their hands more and wear face masks is all a behavioral issue and in the absence of a vaccine health psychology comes in to helping people protect their health. Mm. Um, So it's been a really interesting subject to study and within it there is so much that you can look at. Um, you can look at the mental health stuff, which clinical psychology normally focuses on, but really we have a real focus on the kind of health side of things, like cardiovascular health and exercise and eating and um, uh, pain management and things like that. So very interesting.
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, that's so that's one
1: thing. <laughs> yeah, one thing. Yeah, so that's one thing to my bow, I guess. But um otherwise, um, I'm kind of I met you and everything through the work I do with eating disorders. Um, And at the moment, I am a course facilitator for Taste Life UK, who are quite a new charity actually, but they run fantastic eight week community-based courses for those either struggling with eating disorders or those people like supporting um, another person with eating disorder. And um, it's uh, an evidence-based, it's built by, um, it's made by medical professionals. So it's all accredited course and it's kind of built off cbt principles mm. um and helps people explore how they can make baby steps towards recovery um, and it's all online at the moment so that takes up one evening of my week which is great fun and then i do some work for beat on the side which is uh, very casual i'm an ambassador for them so really opportunities come my way and it's up to me whether i i grasp them or i don't um but i love being part of that because beat um if, for those who don't know is the UK's leading eating disorder charity and they had a really big role in my recovery mm. um I, I use a lot of their resources as I think my parents um, so it's lovely to be able to give back so that's the kind of thing that I do at the moment um, yeah,
0: lots of lots of different things
1: uh, lots of different things I like to keep busy <laughs> um, yeah yeah.
0: it sounds very it sounds very similar to me I, when I kind of resonated with you when you said that you would find it difficult when people ask you what it is you do and I'm kind of the same especially right now because I'm not I've finished with my my master's and stuff now I'm kind of doing so many little things um it's really I don't really have one thing that I do um so yeah I, I resonate with that that feeling I'm, I'm interested because the the taste the taste is it taste for life did you say it
1: tastes life
0: taste life um you've told me about them before haven't you because we we were going to i was going to do the training as well as you when you were when you were first doing the qualification um they sound really interesting can you tell me a little bit more about like the kind of stuff that you do with them
1: yeah so my role with them is just the course facilitator so they run these courses up and down the country and the way they work is they train people to run them And then um, at the moment, it's really good because it doesn't really matter where you are in the country, you can always log on to a course. Mm. Um, But the idea in non-COVID times is that every community will have a taste life course running. Um, The uh, the two, the founders, uh, Diane Archer is one of them, she um, built it from like a Christian perspective. So they were, they did start running in churches, but now I believe they, ha- they, don't, they don't have a Christian um, message throughout it. It is a secular thing. Um, and it was, like I said, it's been built alongside medical professionals and it's accredited by Brighton University. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's a really fantastic course and Di decided to build it because her daughter suffered from bulimia. She actually there's lots of like supplementary materials we have throughout throughout the courses and a lot of them are videos we watch about people's recovery and uh, her daughter speaks about her bulimia and her recovery story is phenomenal Um, and uh, it's. Yeah, so she going through that with her daughter kind of like she realized this gap between waiting for services in NHS, which so many people find they've put on a six month waiting list. She realized that's just too too long and they needed this community course for people to go to and just be able to get some support and get some encouragement and how to make these tiny little baby steps. Um, because it's really unrealistic to think that you're going to wake up in the morning and not have an eating disorder. Um, But If you can just help people really explore why this is happening to them and what are the tiny little changes they can make week on week to help them at least stabilize, Mm. um, that can make a big difference to saving lives. Um, So I kind of got, I wanted to do the course a, a year or two ago and then I kind of, being me i jetted off <laughs> to a different country and never came back and uh and i finally this this summer with lockdown just decided that this is the time you know i've got nothing else to do and instead of just sitting around watching netflix which i was kind of get slipping into the habit of doing I, i'll just um kind of focus on something and yeah, yeah it's not
0: uh, it sounds amazing it sounds really um like useful and i love the idea the the kind of baby steps because i i always explain or a way a phrase that i often use is that mental health and and disordered eating things like that aren't um like binary they're not you don't have one and then you don't have one you have to they are kind of analog in the fact that they you know they they go up and down, they, I just hit my mic there. Sorry. Um, they, they kind of, they're like a wave. So you, you, you know, you, you make the, the low peaks slightly less low or less often you make the high peaks last longer, or, you know, you work, you know, they, they wiggle up and down. So having those little steps and slowly moving that peak up, that's what it's all about it's not about just you just snap your fingers and you you're fixed and um, it's all about those like little steps i also love the 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 fact that you um it sounds like you use kind of like people's narratives so like like the videos of people's stories and things and um, which yeah. is obviously there's
1: so much in the course there's so much mixed media and then they have supplementary material so at the end of each session the course attendees get sent a bunch of notes a bunch of um they can have like contacts to follow up on and it it pinpoints them to like different services and things that they should look up on so it's it's really trying to support them where they're where they're at Mm. um and we don't we don't cross that boundary into therapists like we we realize that we're not we're not trained professionals um to we don't give therapy We're, we're there to support we're there to advise um and we just follow the course material and stuff. Yeah. And, and it's great. It, it's lovely to see these people kind of come onto the course and they make their own support bubble um, and they kind of connect with other people. And um, from my background as well, because I had anorexia, really that was my kind of main eating disorder. I slipped into a little bit of bulimia during my recovery and a little bit of binge eating during my recovery. But anorexia was always the main kind of eating disorder I struggled with. And it's, it's, it's incredible to kind of like, hear other people's stories because I didn't know much about binge eating and there's a lady who has binge eating on our course and I can kind of I can learn from her and that will always help me that will make me a better facilitator and a better person and um, in the work I do in the future and like, I think that's really valuable as well.
0: Yeah and I think um, obviously my mind started as kind of like a narrative thing it was just collecting people's stories so I'm a big believer in um, the the use of people's stories and people's narratives mm-hmm. to to help support people, um, and it's actually what I want to do my PhD in eventually is that's my kind of idea that I've got um, for my my own led one but it's just it's very difficult to get one when it's your own your own leading idea, um, mm-hmm. but yeah um, yeah I, that one that all sounds like fantastic and um, I it's kind of as you touched on your um, experiences in the past of eating disorder you have kind of similar thing with me um as to you know you you experienced the the big three so to speak um in different in different ways um yeah. i would say my my kind of core one is binge eating like the the lady you were speaking about there but i i definitely had um periods of anorexia and periods of bulimia um but yeah can you touch on your story a little bit for the people that don't know
1: Yeah, of course. Um, Again, it's one of those things that when you're told to kind of say your story in a linear fashion, you realize how messy eating disorders are. Yeah. Um, I technically, I got ill at about 15 years old um, and it was sparked through my GCSE exams coming up. I wasn't a very studious student before that. Uh, School was always a way to socialize and wasn't really for learning. And then, um, because I have a very high achieving older brother I really felt like oh well if he can do it and get good grades you know there surely is a part of me that is capable of this so I saw my GCSEs as the turning point but I think that kind of tapped into this kind of perfectionism side of me Mm -hmm. and you know it started as handwriting and then it slowly um slipped into like grade perfecting grades and um then it became more of an appearance thing and perfecting my appearance so I realized I think I've always had this comparative kind of narrative going on inside me and um, I picked up that I was slightly different to my friends not different as in like characteristically but more like appearance based Um, a lot of my friends were quite like uh, blonde hair and quite beautiful and I I felt like I didn't meet their standards so come that December um, when I was 15 I kind of really wanted to uh, glam up for my prom so I decided I'd go on a diet um and I bleached my hair blonde um I literally looked like Elsa for my prom <laughs> considering the film came out about five years after that I really think that like Disney hunted my prom pictures down and I <laughs> later I, I just look like an Elsa doll um but I can it can it kind of it was never enough the kind of weight loss was never enough um and um the kind of goalposts kept moving back in those days as well. Social media wasn't a big thing. I think Facebook was very new, MySpace was around Bebo, um, but there wasn't Be-bearer. Instagram. Oh my
0: god. That was a flash. <laughs> I of always was. wanted
1: to kind of dig up my old account because I was really emo in my teens. And I I think <laughs> I had like the tackiest, like anarchy kind of background on my oh, Bebo wow. and like <laughs> I, I can't even really
0: remember happy. what I had on my Bebo. I'll have to look for it. Does the website still exist?
1: have no idea. I haven't actually checked in a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Sorry. Sorry, I, just, I was putting in there. That's just
1: <laughs> um, yeah. my, my point there was like Instagram wasn't really around to be bombarding me with diet information, but I did get into the habit of buying magazines. And any um, women's health magazine or any magazine that had like a diet or a, a diet plan in it, I would hoard them and I would cut them out. I had diaries just full of calorie information um my life I I stopped socializing so my life was so just confined by these numbers like my my daily goal to reach a certain number or to walk walk a certain amount and um from there it just escalated um it actually came to my prom and my prom dress didn't fit me anymore I had a really bad year 11 prom I had to like pin my dress to my bra and I couldn't dance because if I danced it fell off so I just watching other people just like this is awful um so come that September I was kind of hospitalized that was when I was diagnosed and um it was it completely transformed my life I think coming from a place where I'd never really struggled with my mental health before um or not knowingly like I was always quite a bubbly person and um had a massive social group at my my secondary school like it was great Mm. um it was Kind of like it hit everyone out of the blue a lot of friends didn't know how to cope with it and, and kind of backed away and uh, I didn't know how to cope with it um, and uh, I, I suffered a lot I had a lot of like suicidal ideation I didn't want to live anymore um, and I went through three kind of inpatient units um, every time kind of like gaining a little bit more information thinking I was gonna stay recovered and Every time it was kind of this miscommunication between outpatients and inpatients and these gaps of care which just meant i slipped through the mental health service and i I wasn't supported and Mm. um but to be honest i don't want to pin blame on anyone because i also have a responsibility in my own recovery i you know i'm the only one who can wake up each morning and make myself eat and um and kind of manage it but the support wasn't there for me at that age yeah and I think with eating disorders, as you've probably realized yourself, there's a lot of growing up that you do. Mm. Um, year on year, you learn your habits, you learn how you tick, you learn your triggers, and it all adds up and it makes you a stronger person. Um, it can make or break you really you can mm. then learn from it or you can choose to kind of push it away and
0: yeah and... i think i think as well sorry sorry to butt in but i think when when you're in that position as well when you know when you if you're young and you know you're slipping through the mental health service especially when you kind of within that eating disorder mind you don't want to stop because as far as you're concerned it, it's what's helping you isn't it it's what's you know controlling your life and making you like feel worthy and okay and
1: so you yeah. don't want
0: to stop if it's not if it's not being like pushed on you at least that's how i
1: felt anyway yeah i think the turning point for me was um the first two inpatient units i went through were adolescent services and there was a massive difference between adolescents and adults um services and i found when i left at 18 and went to my first adult inpatient ward it was terrifying for me like mm. adolescence was quite like they're really optimistic there's lots of activities for you to do I had art to do I had sports when I was at a certain um BMI they did trips out we went like dry slopes snowboarding I think one time they had a <laughs> photography course there was so much in these hospitals yeah. um it was almost like a safe haven for me I to you know I could develop other skills and Um, I went into adult ward and it was literally like, here is your bedroom and we'll see you at these times for your meals and snacks. And then they shut the door. And I I remember just kind of being like, what? And I was a bit lost. And everyone else was quite a lot older than me. There was a few girls my age. Everyone was so to themselves. And I just thought, no, this this can't be the rest of my life. (laughs) Mm. Um, I was actually very sick in that hospital and, and a lot of a lot of stuff happened it was quite a traumatic experience for me um but through that I kind of realized that that's not what I want my life to be like and um yeah and then that kind of was the turning point for me getting better I think was having a taste of actually the worst case scenario um yeah I, but to be honest I, I realized that my stories does sound like a diet gone wrong like I started diet at 15 and it went very wrong and I got anorexia but I want to really emphasize that throughout this whole process of recovery like a lot of therapy went on to find out that actually that wasn't the root cause of my comparisons and it wasn't like i i was struggling with other issues that my eating disorder just came in to numb me from Mm -hmm. um you know at my worst with anorexia and this is the same with binge eating i believe like you zone out you're numb and um anorexia gave me that it gave me a way not to feel anything not to worry about anything else other than a daily calorie limit i had no other responsibilities and i gained a lot of care Um, so i think in a way although it was a horrendous way of life it did seem easier to me and it Mm. seemed more manageable uh, and it seemed safe even though paradoxically it was the most dangerous thing for my body for me it felt so familiar and so safe um so recovery really is a really slow process of letting go and that's why i love the taste life baby steps idea because yeah, it really yeah. it really is a baby step to kind of process
0: one thing i was going to say is we are not um sponsored by taste life but they do sound fantastic we keep speaking about them so much it sounds like we're like there's like an advert going on here i'm not i promise you that's yeah. not that's not happening they just seem <laughs> wonderful, wonderful um people and they're doing a, a great job um yeah sorry so can you can you yeah so carry on with your with your story so like where where are you up to now like where have you got up to
1: yeah well I think for me like university um so I dropped out of my first course I, I went to Leeds to do pediatric nursing always wanted to do pediatric nursing got there and realized I can't do shifts shifts like are not my thing I'm such a routine person that if you take away my sleep I'm not the same like I get grouchy and so um I actually got very sick up there again I, I had a bit of a relapse and like I came back home and had a gap year, one of my many gap years, <laughs> and uh, I went back to the University of Surrey where I started psychology, um, and uh, didn't really know much about psychology to be honest. I just was really interested in the fact that I was like, why do some people recover and other people don't? Um, I really wanted to to know to know that, and that kind of sparked my interest in in the brain and behavioural science and um, kind of integrated sciences as well, integrated health. Um And so I did my four-year degree and I uh, was probably still battling. I was probably actively in recovery during my undergrad, I'd say. Uh, and then after that I I jetted off and I worked on cruise ships for a while. I went to New Zealand for a while and I worked out in Australia last year. So really just allowing myself to get to know myself, I think in England and in Western culture, we put so much pressure on kind of... Getting your master's get your phd or get your you know doctoral and going through these kind of motions um and i really didn't want to do that i really wanted to have some fun and you know get to know the world and get to know what makes me tick where do i thrive where do i not thrive um i did a, a year's experience during my undergrad as a research assistant i really didn't enjoy it i i didn't enjoy the isolation the long hours sitting at a computer which obviously I have back again being a postgraduate <laughs> but um and I, I just thought no I'm missing that interaction I'm missing seeing people and you know traveling and I did some pairing out there and, and working closely with the family and supporting their children again kind of made me realize yeah it's the pediatric stuff I love I, I love the health stuff and I, I love the being with children and um I love supporting families. I love making people healthier. The family I worked for actually hired me on the basis that they saw my blog and they liked all the healthy recipes I posted. And they wanted me to cook nutritious meals for their children. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yes, I will do that. And um, it was great. It was a fantastic year and uh, we still keep in touch. And um, it's these little experiences that if you kind of pull yourself out and you get caught in the slog of like a daily, like, oh, I must get my, I must get good grades and I must do this. And I must do that. You kind of miss out on these little life experiences, yeah. which are just so yeah. precious.
0: It's, not, it's um, something that I really struggle with myself. And I, I, I said it, um, people who listened to my last podcast where I was talking about how I've been struggling recently, a bit, I put these ridiculous um, expectations on myself and I'm just constantly like even if i achieve my expectation i'm like yeah but i could have done more or i could have been doing it quicker or someone else has done it before me or, or whatever and i'm con- i'm constantly comparing and that that um like kind of corridor that we're put into like you were saying where you know you have to do you, you do your undergrad then you do your master's and you do your phd and then you get a good job and then you like and all. i'm so stuck in that um, and it's something i'm really trying to get out of myself um But it's just it's so difficult. I just put I put so much pressure on myself to have to be succeeding in inverted commas, um, like constantly, I have to constantly be achieving something. Um, It's something I've I've realized recently, and I'm trying to work on is when when people ask me how my day was, um, my answer isn't based on my emotion, it's based on how much I achieved. So my day was good if I achieved these, if I achieved things, my day was bad if I didn't. And it's, and it's something I do all the time.
1: That's so interesting because I realized this in my dad. So it it used to get me like really angry. If I go home and I've chosen to have like a self-care day, a day where I, I, you know, I put the laptop away, I'm just doing, I'm painting my nails, I'm watching Netflix, I'm, you know, baking, doing something that's just for me for fun. Mm -hmm. And my dad comes in at the end of the day and he's like, had a really good day today. I got X done, Y done. And it's all productivity. And I've said to him a few times, I was like, you can still have a good day. And all you've done is watch the whole entire box set of skins. Mm. Like it doesn't matter. Like your, your worth is not based on your productivity. And if he came into the room and said he hadn't done anything all day, I still love him the same as if he'd come in and said that he's, I don't know, found the cure of the cancer. It's just, I don't know what it is about our society, whether it's, um, I don't know what you think. If it's just mm. this comparative nature on social media, and I've actually taken a break this January, I haven't gone on at all. Um, mainly because I don't like the diet culture around and everyone doing like Veganuary or whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I take a step back. Um, but yeah, there is this constant like comparing and need to be always doing something. And I yeah. think sometimes yeah. you know, quality over quantity um focusing on one thing and doing it really well or a couple of things and you know doing them really well um it's better than trying to spread yourself so thin that you're just burning out um
0: i think i think work. we just i think we we um define success as as like achievements don't we and we define them as as the, you know money and objects and and the way to get money and to get objects are well a a a often used method or the the method that was shown to be the best way to do it is by going to school getting these degrees and stuff and i suppose degrees in themselves are an object that you've you've obtained and um you know that it's just i think it's just it's just the way we're shown is optimal it's really hard for me to to um normally i'm very good at kind of zooming myself out and seeing it properly but this this is one of the things that i really struggle to wrap my head around or to like get my head out of and it's one of the reasons why I struggle with it so much is this um like in my head I still see like it's weird it's really weird because I don't see it um like with other people, like if someone, if someone isn't doing that method, if someone did just start a business and like runs something and doesn't, didn't go to uni or do anything like that, or, you know, just does whatever. I never think of them like, Oh, I'm worried about them. Or oh they're not, what are they doing? They sort their heads out. Like I would, I'd literally never can even consider that. But for some reason when it's me, it's different. It's, it's this, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, like I have to do follow this, the, this pathway. I have to do it this way because I don't even know why. It's just, yeah, it's something.
1: And I think that is very characteristic of people who do suffer or have suffered from eating disorders. You see a lot of these kind of expectations or the goalposts always moving, Mm. Um, especially not just when it comes to like um, kind of like the weight side of things or the body image, because that's very surface level eating disorder. If you think about the whole very well-known analogy of like the iceberg and like what's above the iceberg is like all your weight and body image Mm. and uh, worry about food and then below the iceberg is all the actual the meaty stuff that's actually driving that um perfectionism and this kind of need to always achieve and prove to yourself that you're like worthy is a is something that comes up time and time again mm-hmm. and i think for myself as well with this whole GCSEs and wanting to get the perfect the grades and the weight loss getting such positive feedback was a way that made me feel good i was like i didn't feel good at anything um, I felt very overlooked and uh, in the shadow of maybe higher achieving family members but the weight loss was a way that you know people were like oh Josh you're looking great or how do you do that or I wish I could do that and it, it gave me this kind of status that I'd never had before and sometimes when you like when you think about leaving a written disorder it, it can be like well what am I good at and it's this real process of rediscovering you know what do I like um I actually found doing um there's a branch of therapy called ACT, Acceptance Commitment Therapy. I don't know if yeah, you've come across I've, it. Yeah,
0: I've, I've heard of it. Yes, it's the. Is it? I'm sure you'll you'll um, say a more defined version of it. But basically, it's the idea of of accepting emotions and and not not trying to combat them, but accept that they're there and feel them and and go with them. Definitely. Yeah, them. it's
1: it's a really great therapeutic model because it's kind of mindfulness mindfulness meets CBT but it also has this added area of values. So you do a lot of values-based work. Um, So something I had to do was you're given this kind of like chart with like, um, it would be like education, family, social, relaxation, spirituality, all these different domains. And you write down not your goals, but your values. And then you rate them out of importance. So instead of being really goal-focused and being like, oh, I must achieve, I must be married by the time I'm 30 and I must I must have a PhD by the time I'm 32 and I must be published, at have goals. But yeah. actually it's looking at what you value. It's like, oh, I value learning. I value growth. I value connection. And you can kind of see how you're living and if you're living according, in accordance to your values. Um, so you, you may feel like you need a PhD or a doctoral to gain a title, but is that something you value? Is that something you just feel you need, like where where is the value and where is the goal and mm-hmm. where is this differing? Um, and I found that really a really good way at actually stepping back from my kind of expectations and lowering my expectations and prioritizing self-care. Because mm-hmm. I realized that actually I really value kind of time off and being in a slower pace of life and being in nature, being outside more. Um, I really value being with friends and family. And I value education and learning, but not to the extent that I'm burnt out or stressed. So during my January assessments, these kind of values came really handy when writing my assessments. Because every time I felt I was burning out, I was like, hang about. My value here is that I'm learning. If I'm learning something new when I'm sitting down and writing this assessment, that's great. But I'm not going to put so much energy into it that I'm going to be, you know, hyperventilating and anxious and stress, which in semester one, I, I did a lot. Um, and I think it's just a really good way of kind of realigning yourself with actually, what do, what do I value? How am I living? Um, and that can be really good for eating disorder recovery, because your eating disorder obviously kind of takes you away from a lot of the stuff that you're, you actually value, like maybe a functioning family. Eating disorders cause a lot of family breakdown.
0: Yeah, and maybe yeah.
1: your eating disorder is actually not in congruence with with your values um, eating disorders can be very secretive very manipulative and that might not be what you prioritize in yourself you know how do you see yourself how do you want to be known by others um, and i found that kind of model of therapy really useful in in always like evaluating what i'm doing and how i'm working especially if i feel that i'm on that borderline of of burnout mm. um, which I think we talked about this before, but I'm a lot like you. It's sometimes it's a very all or nothing, like either I'm all in doing absolutely everything I can, or it's like, I can't do any more and everything stops.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. And I think the values based thing, again, it can help just create this kind of more steady and present um, kind of present acceptance. Like what do I want to do with today? How Mm. am I feeling today? And, and like you said, obviously the sitting with the uncomfortable emotions and and just being aware of them, which is a mindfulness, a really really valuable mindfulness technique, and something in the Taste Life course already that's come up time and time again is, is people asking, you know, but how do I how do I sit with those uncomfortable feelings? You know, when I want to just overexercise or I want to make myself sick, how do I ride that wave? And there is no clear answer. The the answer is you you, you just have to get used to that uncomfortable emotion and kind of understanding that it will peak and it will bubble down and and peter out yeah
0: the um, the, the values idea especially sounds really like i, I feel like i'm gonna do that myself <laughs> and like i like I yeah right write down yeah please do um I, I'm, I think i'm gonna do that thing where i you know i write down what i value rather than what i'm wanting to achieve and then look if what i'm wanting to achieve matches with my values rather than like yeah, how I'm living is matching those values. And I feel like that because like you were saying, um, the perfectionism, one of the things I, I run some courses with first steps, um, and I I, I teach around kind of disordered eating for exercises, um, because obviously my kind of my area of, of knowledge, um, and dysfunctional perfectionism, i.e. perfectionism where you um see belittle yourself or or, or like um kind of confrontational with yourself because you're not achieving that perfectionism um, is one of the the highest kind of correlating factors with disordered eating and with compulsive exercise. So, you know, it, I feel like that, that idea of values and taking away from you need to reach this goal instead, let's do stuff that moves you towards a life where you're achieving your values or you're not necessarily achieving, but you know, you're, you're within your values um, could be a really good tool for people a really just like interesting way of of like seeing yourself differently like changing your self identity um which is a really big and i think important thing and it's something that i think um the use of narratives can be really helpful with um if like reading reading other people's stories or or hearing other people's stories um can change the way that we see our own story because we we see like when i hear you talk about your like eating disorder and, and things like that I resonate with bits of it and then you explain how you think about that and then that makes me think oh maybe like I suppose mine is kind of like that and then I balance that up with how I think about myself and now you're thinking about it and it it changes the ways that you know everything everything seems to connect and I think that's really important just like that kind of insight
1: yeah definitely yeah
0: 100% what so um kind of speaking about the research and stuff with within your master's. So you're doing health psychology. Um yep. first of all, how how is that going? I know you just said then that your first semester was kind of stressful. Um how is it going? Uh, I, think,
1: I think it was stressful because obviously I have taken time out for my undergrad and the work that I did when I wasn't doing my undergrad was not in academia. So yep. it was just stressful because I came back and immediately that kind of perfectionism kicked in and I wanted to like I expected myself to sit down and write a really good thing at a very high quality standard. Um, and I kind of just got caught up in, in, in that. And, um, but no, sorry, the course is great. I, I love health psychology. I I'm learning so much. It's, uh, we, we do autoimmune diseases, cardiovascular health, chronic pain, pediatric pain. Uh, we designed an intervention for one of our assessments and we do group work and we did, yeah, lots of, qualitative analysis which I really like the qualitative I'm not really with numbers so the quantitative stuff and SPSS kind of scares me still yeah um and uh but yeah it's been really really good and despite the kind of online learning Bath University have been absolutely incredible and I've actually really enjoyed every like I've enjoyed the lectures it's been really interactive they've been very creative with like the multimedia they've used um the extra reading they put podcasts in to listen to and blog posts and we had to write a blog post and it's been really good it's been just more. Um, it feels like a really well rounded course and I don't I feel like I know my cohort and I know my lectures, even though I've not really met them face to face which I know a few other people who are so, who have had more like pre-recorded lectures done and everything's kind of feels a bit more distant. Um, but I've really enjoyed the course and um, I've got a placement coming up in May at a cancer charity called Penny Brown. So I'll just be doing kind of service evaluations and they're a very integrative, um, they do like integrated therapy. So exercise, nu- exercise and nutrition therapy and relaxation rooms and mindfulness and it's to go alongside medical treatment so they're not saying like this is what you need to you know to do to make get yourself better from cancer it's to go it's to go in um in tangent with it in parallel with it so um I'm really looking forward to that and uh yeah I mean the research side of it um my thesis will have to be with Penny Brown so it will be looking at some kind of qualitative analysis of of their services probably okay. um a service evaluation um i've been doing a lot of research into pediatric chronic pain that's the area of speciality that my um director of studies and personal tutor has and i find it so interesting and it's an area that i didn't really know much about before and actually i found lots of literature on um eating disorders and pediatric chronic pain because mm. they kind of go in tangent if you think about it if you're experiencing chronic pain you're likely to restrict your food because uh, you probably just don't feel like eating uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. and uh, that can lead to eating disorders and all the other way around sometimes eating disorders they mess up your physiology and mm.
0: um, they
1: can create chronic pain. They can create kind of psychosomatic pain and things like this. And um, so I've kind of been exploring different different tangents, um, especially on this time off at the moment. Uh, this kind of week we have before semester two starts. Mm. Um, yeah. So no, I'm I'm ex- I'm excited to be doing this course, and it definitely feels like it's the right course because I, I the reason I took time out was because I kept on finding different courses and thinking this is the one. This is the one I should do. And then kind of being like ah, no don't think it is and so no this definitely feels right um and Bath is beautiful I'm actually living in a little apartment and uh Bath is a very pretty city to live in as well um so yeah it always really looks
0: like I did my undergraduate at Durham University oh, and it all it kind yeah. of looks similar to that because it's quite like oldie and um yeah, yeah it's very pretty oh, yeah i miss durham so much if, if anyone's listening who's from durham or if you haven't been to durham please go and please go to durham because durham's beautiful um it's yeah. funny
1: what i find whenever i look at universities and i know bath university is actually very modern but i found myself always being like does it look like hogwarts because if it looks <laughs> like hogwarts i want to go yeah.
0: <laughs> durham is literally hogwarts because it's all it's kind yeah, of like, like oxford you. and cambridge <laughs> it's all split into colleges and things um i was yeah. van milder if anyone's listening from van milder whoo um yeah it's very cool like they're all college and each college has their kind of like own little um kind of like well not all of them but most of them have like a stereotype of the kind of person that goes there and like they all like because there's, there's like there's one that's called Collingwood at Durham that's very sporty um then there's like there's like Castle and Hatfield which are like very like well off people tend to go there i don't know if that's actually true but that's the kind of stereotype um Van Mildert, I think I think Van Mildert's thing was that we were we were like um, caring people because we did (laughs) because the college the college does a lot of um, like charity work and it's one of the only colleges where you can you can do charity work whilst you whilst you're at the college, Um, and also our um, slogan not the slogan like the I guess it's a slogan I don't know it's like the saying underneath the 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 sigil of the college Um, it's in Latin I don't know what it is in Latin but it roughly translates to do for others, not for yourself, or something like that, um, oh, which is lovely. Like
1: that.
0: Yeah, so that's oh, the, it's you the best college.
1: Alongside?
0: Um, whilst I was there, I yeah, I, well, I did. I worked with um a charity at Durham Uni called the Active Steps Program, which basically uses kind of exercise interventions, um, with people who are ex offenders and kind of uh, homeless people and um Sorry. just trying to help kind of rehabilitate and just like you know just improve mood in general so, um, yeah. so i ran i ran boxing um classes and like did like some like one-to-one stuff and um, so basically mm-hmm. i just got i got beaten up um i volunteered <laughs> to get beaten up <laughs> um nice. but, so yeah it was good it was really it was really fun though like i met some really like nice people and yeah it was it was really good i really enjoyed it oh
1: cool that sounds really awesome actually
0: yeah it is um I, I listened to you speak about research when you were saying like you don't enjoy quantitative and stuff. I'm kind of the opposite to you where I love nerding out about the numbers and, and things like that. And um, what yeah, I think, I, I think,
1: think about it. I think sometimes it's the fact that when you're learning these programs, they always like show you ways that you can literally manipulate your data to make it say anything you like. Mm-hmm. And then I'm kind yeah. of like, well, then have we lost? Have we lost the meaning of it then? And I find that if you listen to people talking you you can obviously you can manipulate what you think they mean because you can interpret it in various different ways, but still their words are their words and they either say like something works or they say it doesn't work for them. And then they say, why? And I think, well, that's your answer. Mm. Uh, like I, I just, I find that I just, I, I don't know, maybe it's also, I, I love doing GCSE and A-level English and so maybe it's just the English student in me yeah. coming out. It's, I love that kind of like rich detail of, of experience i love hearing people's experience and Mm. um numbers i feel a little bit for me i just i can't find meaning in them like i I look at them and i just don't understand them the way that i understand people
0: yeah Um, yeah are there any like particular fields of disordered eating research that you're interested in
1: yeah so actually funny enough we had to do for one of our assignments a mini tiny systematic review and it, when i say a mini one it was five papers so it wasn't it was like a very it was like a scoping review really Um, and i chose to focus it on um men's eating disorders because and i chose to do it on qualitative um research because there's nothing out there literally Mm. when i was doing this literature search i could find like hardly i could probably count my fingers the amount of papers i could find that looked at specifically just men yeah um a lot of the research out there is predominantly female based and they might have a sample within that of like oh we interviewed like Five men and like 72 females it's like (laughs)
0: horrendously yeah it's Um,
1: so true and so like yeah I really wanted to just kind of dig around and say hey look what is the what is the eating disorder literature in males saying like what are their experiences especially in relation to stigma because I think even though like there is a lot more being said about men's mental health and men's eating disorders um I think the underlying social stigma is still there like it's great that we're talking about it more and more men can vocalize it and a, um, and are feeling confident reaching out for support. But I, I really think that the underlying kind of, I don't know if it's wrapped up in like the kind of masculine ideologies of like, I'm resilient, I'm stoic. I, I don't ask for help. I can cope with these problems. Um, these problems are female based. I, I don't know if that's kind of, well, that's what I found anyway, is the yeah. kind of underlying themes. I don't know if that's how that's going to change and, and, um and i i kind of like i'm very interested in that and kind of rewriting almost the subjective norms that we have mm. in society like how can how can we just normalize it how can how can we just normalize men being as emotional a human being as a woman because we are like we're our brains aren't wired that differently like we we all we all feel happy and sad and angry and frustrated and we can all turn to alcohol and and chocolate and uh, self-harm just as much as the next person. So, yeah. so why can't we all access help the same? Um, and I think that's really interesting area to look into. Um, and that,
0: that's something as well that um, with my my PhD proposal that I've done recently. Um, that one of the things that I think narratives can help with massively is reducing that stigma. Mm-hmm. And particularly yeah. what I want what I want to look at is. Um, like a- athletes because I think the stigma this big the stigma with with males is 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 r- still high and I think also the stigma just with athletes in general is high because yeah. because with, when you're an athlete there's so much um, obviously nutrition can affect your I, I did my master's degree in exercise nutrition so I know that your nutrition can affect the, your performance so it's almost expected that you're supposed to eat differently from everyone else so if you're complaining yeah. about oh you know I, I feel like my eating is isn't like i'm is disordered in some kind of way or it's making me unhappy people like it's it's way more common than people are like well yeah well that's normal cuz you have to eat like healthy and and like cuz you're an athlete and it's just you just got to deal with it and there's so much of this this stigma around just mental health as well in general um and i think if if yeah. we can understand the way that hearing athletes stories affects other athletes and affects coaches and sports staff who work with them um maybe we can start to release them in a certain way or a certain manner or just more often and help reduce that stigma and also improve like the understanding and, um, you know, that, that, um, sense of, um, different differing self-identity in other people. And yeah, you
1: know. yeah, definitely. You've also got the whole added elements of like athletes have come across as very strong people. They're like, they're routine, they're resilient, they train hard and eating disorders can sometimes have this kind of element of like vulnerability and weakness like attached to them, I think. Um, and obviously for an athlete, that's the last thing you want to be associated with is is being weak in any way. Um, and I think that can almost tie into the to the way that they don't disclose eating disorders or the the ease of it being hidden as well. Um can easily just hide I'm just training harder and you know I'm being more vigilant with my diet because it will make me a better performance. Yeah.
0: Teammates can often see, um, you know, not eating as much to 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 pre- perform in a certain way because your um, body composition is going to get leaner um yeah. they see that as a as a good thing like it's like pushed. if you don't do it then you're weak so then it's like you, then yeah. it's like am i weak because i've got um disordered eating or am i weak because i'm not disordered eating and then it's like well yeah. you know it's it's just causes this just mental health just yeah. spiral.
1: that like, actually happened with one of my friends um she went to um she went to university sorry and uh, she is a, a runner for, I think she might have even been one of the GB teams now. She's an amazing mm-hmm. runner. Yeah. Um, and that happened to her. She got tiny because the lighter she was, the faster she ran. Uh, but it got to the point where she was so malnourished that she, she wasn't performing. She wasn't running well at all, obviously. Yeah. And there's a really fine balance, obviously, between, you know eating to perform and, and maintaining enough energy to perform. And
0: that, that's um, one of the, the hardest things about being a coach. And it's, it's something that I, you know, I, I really want to try and help with, with my minds, um, is, is helping coaches understand because it's, it, it's so difficult. If you're not like, I I'm, I'm kind of blessed in the fact that I've, um, I have experienced with an eating disorder in some, in some ways, because I, you know, I, I, when I'm coaching people with the nutrition and the, their exercise, I can, I can understand this kind of stuff. Um, but if, if your athlete stops eating as much or just stops eating and, and their co- body composition goes down for the initial few months, all that's going to happen is their, their power to weight ratio is just going to get so much better. And all of a sudden they're just going to be like going lights out. They're going to be amazing. And you're just going to say, just keep doing what you're doing. Cause this is great. Like, you know, all your numbers have gone up, everything's going better. You know, you're just doing a ama- mate. This is amazing. Um, so no wonder like they're, they're pushing it. They're being like, this is great. And then, you know, and then what's going to happen is, and, you know, I understand to a point, but if you don't understand it, um, you know, when you athlete, then because they're malnourished, they start performing worse. You're going to say, what's happened? Why, why are you not doing it? And then the athlete's going to think, oh, maybe I need to eat less. Maybe I need to do more exercise. And, you know, it's just, it, you're pushing people um, away. And I yeah. know that a lot of coaches, if people are listening who are coaches and stuff, you might think, you know, it's I don't want to have to deal with this, but it is kind of partly your responsibility in it. And it's oh, and it's definitely. something that it's, yeah. you know, it's not your fault that you haven't been educated on it because no one talks about it, but we need to start educating on it is the, yeah. is the issue. Just,
1: just the same way. I think PT should be, I think, mm. you know, you could be getting someone to do drills every day. He was actually, you know, is using that to fuel their eating disorder. I mean, if you're really concerned about making them the healthiest best person they can be as a PT, then, you need to know about disordered eating and helping your client overcome that. And that's not saying that they should give mental health advice or, you know, give nutrition advice. Cause I don't always think PTs are qualified to do that, mm. but they should definitely be aware of it and know how to signpost people to help and, um, and be aware of the signs. Mm. I, I definitely think.
0: And that that's the the thing that I'm currently working on that I can't say too much about, but that is hopefully going to be a free thing. That's going to help with that. Um, mm-hmm hopefully um like i said i don't want to say too much so i don't want to get in trouble in case i'm not supposed to be talking about it but um keep keep your eyes peeled people (laughs) um so i know um as i said we kind of spoke a little bit about your kind of the the research and stuff that you're interested in um i think you wanted to talk a little bit about the neuropsychology i can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it anymore (laughs) um but i'm kind of interested in your thoughts and ideas about it if you want to
1: I just I've always had a fascination with the brain and um, I think our brains are incredible um, and I think they're so delicate as well and um, you know I think this is one of the reasons why like I, I've never really done like I, I drink but I've never really done drugs or anything just because you know I'm so cautious Our brains are such a vital organ keeping our <laughs> heart ticking and us alive that like, why would you ever want to play Russian roulette with that like Um, our brains are incredible and the way that they restructure themselves and repair themselves is a process called neuroplasticity and um, really throughout my whole like uh, reading about eating disorder recovery and stuff I I really got interested in what is our brain doing because really if you think about an eating disorder it's like a whole brain has gone into self-destruction mode because what it's there to do is keep you alive and that's one of the things that keeps you alive is eating um, but for some reason, during this period, our brain tells us that doing the exact opposite of what keeps us healthy and alive is good for us. And mm. every day we wake up with the one aim to, to maybe avoid food, restrict food, in the case of anorexia. Um, and I, it just got me thinking: like, what is going on in the brain? What is what are these pathways that are, are being influenced, and how how is recovery restructuring them? Um, And so my undergraduate thesis really um, used the gambling task called the Iowa gambling task, which is usually used in um, substance abuse disorders and for alcoholics. And basically what it shows is this kind of inability to delay immediate gratification and And you see that in like substance abuse and alcoholics, you know, they can't go without the drink. It has to be now. There's like this urgency. And that same urgency is seen within eating disorders. Mm. It's like, I can't cope and I just, I need it now. And you need to have that little um, kind of, you need to have that, I don't know, overexercising or that, whatever the release is, the eating disorder behavior is, that kind of gives you the calmness again. Um, And I was interested in, in that because that taps into our reward pathways. That behavior is rewarding to us just the same way as people who have really healthy coping mechanisms might find a reward in doing yoga or mindfulness or going for a walk or writing a diary. For someone with an eating disorder, it's those kind of self-harming behaviors which have somehow become rewarding. And that seems very paradoxical to our brain that's aiming to keep us alive and healthy. So it was really like using this Iowa gambling task to see if um, people with eating disorders would um, process food rewards differently. So there was like high calorie pictures and low calorie pictures. And they had to learn from a series of reward and punishments, which ones to choose. So obviously like um, kind of learning principles are a massive part of behavior change. If we can reinforce eating healthy, then more people will eat healthy. But what I was finding was that actually for the people with lower BMIs, um, regardless of the reward they were getting, they would always go for the low calorie. So it didn't matter if they were getting a really high reward or if they were going into their losses, they would always go for the low calorie. And the same with the high BMI people, they were always choosing the high calorie options, even if those choosing those options would mean that they were in a greater loss, um, which we used fake money um, at the end of the task. But the people with normal BMIs who didn't really have and um, who disclosed that they didn't really have a disordered eating or a problem with food, um, they were fine. They could learn. They were just clicking on different pictures, and their aim was to do with the rewards. They were learning to click on smaller rewards, which more often got them a higher end result. Mm. That's me kind of trying to simplify the task. The Iowa gambling task is quite a complex one, actually. Mm. And it took me a lot of reading to get my head around because it's a lot of like probability and stuff in it. And like I said, I'm not very mathematical. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, what, what really excited me and my, and my dissertation tutor at the time, his doctor, um, Opitz, Bertram Opitz, he's a crazy neuroscientist and had such a good time working with him over about uh, three years, actually. Um, was that we basically shown that these reward pathways uh, weren't weren't working like people were not learning from reward they you know if you get punishment you probably wouldn't do that behavior again but these people just weren't learning from that and and that means that some another level another layer of like emotional learning coping anxiety was was fueling their behavior Um, so it was really interesting. We used EEG as well, which is like this kind of cap that sits on your head. It has lots of different electrodes all over it. Uh, I know people can't see me pointing at my head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know. We and, all know it. you, you, it's like the classic movie thing, isn't it? With all the little like little suction cups on your brain, basically. Yeah,
1: on, uh, it looks like a rugby cap. Every time I watch rugby and I see the guys on the field with the pictures like yeah. their hats on, I'm like, oh, they're wearing an EEG. <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, and we wired up just to see if people were, you know, if there's this, um, I think it's called a P, I'm gonna get the thing wrong again. It's like P600 and it's this little spike that after you receive a reward or a punishment, your brain processes it after, I think it's like 600 milliseconds or something like that. And it's this little P600 it's called. And so we were just using the EEG cap to make sure all our participants were processing Mm. rewards and punishments. It was like a control. Um, and they were all processing it the same. Oh, that's really uh, interesting. People were not behaving, even though they were processing the reward and pro- um, rewards and punishments, they weren't behaving, behaving in a congruent way to it. They weren't learning mm. from it. Um, so that really kind of, is very interesting is because people can't learn to adapt their behaviors um, we need to look at the kind of models we're using in eating and eating to sort of recovery, and what is going to motivate people to change their behaviours. Um,
0: so that that, that 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 kind of that p that p six hundred spike kind of shows that that the people taking part in it weren't just ignoring the value, uh, that the monetary that the the positive and negative, they actually were like they were reacting to that and seeing like oh that's good, oh that's bad, yeah. but even still they still ignored it. Um, yes yeah, so they went low, updating yeah. their
1: responses so obviously like the, the simplest thing i can say is if you had your your cooker hob on and you touch that
0: and you'd get hob- a yeah.
1: negative like you would yeah. that p600 would go off and you'd be like i am not doing that again that yeah. hurts and, and you, you will update your response You'll yeah check hob is turned off you won't go near it but for these people it wasn't processing they were yeah. metaphorically
0: they were, they were touching the hob again and again every time
1: low calorie option yeah, yeah. or the high calorie option so um, obviously, learning principles are massive and there's more to it than this very one tiny experiment. And um, there's lots of things, the salience of a reward, maybe the monetary, the fake monetary reward wasn't enough for people to change their behaviors and um, I know for myself, almost like learning principles really helped me recover, because I I learned about myself, I learned how to intrinsically motivate myself, you know, Mm -hmm. I was motivated to get a job, I was motivated to not be in a hospital, these are all little things that my recovery, as I made progress, meant that I wasn't always opting for like, the low calorie or the anorexic eating, Mm -hmm. I was changing my eating, but even even now, I have to kind of, I think there's a lot of messages we get on, on Instagram and on social media and and, and through the normal media about right and wrong things to eat. And I think that can all influence our beliefs and our ability to change our behaviors. Um, and I still I, I, I consider myself recovered. I still have to challenge my behaviors. And um, there was a lot of foods during my recovery that I put on the like the naughty list and learning actually how to implement kind of intuitive eating principles and see everything is neutral. Um, is still something I, I have to do. Um, I don't consider it an eating disorder because I, I don't have that level of anxiety and fear. Like if there's chocolate left out, I'll probably eat it. And, um, you know, it, it, I don't have the kind of boundaries. You know, if my partner makes garlic bread at 10 p.m. at night, I'm still gonna eat it as well. So there's not the kind of fear But I still have to challenge things, I still have to consciously think like, oh, I'm actually I'm not eating bread much at the moment, what's what's that about? Mm. And I think this kind of experiment kind of showed that, you know, those kind of habitual patterns of of response can still pervade. And it really takes this kind of conscious awareness to change our behaviours, and this want to change our behaviours, and knowing what's feeding your brain the right information, Um, because we process things even if we just flick through I know lots of people are like oh but I don't read things on Instagram I just flick it's like but your brain still takes that in so if you're completely looking at just like fitness models and diet things like you're still going to absorb that information Mm. so it's kind of just creating an environment for your your brain for yourself which is actually going to support its recovery um because you'll probably find these habitual responses and this kind of immediate gratification of like, oh, but this makes me feel good, is is a long process to heal from, um, and you need to get all these again, like taste life, all these little baby steps to restructuring your brain, and there is science to show that your brain, because with malnutrition or eating disorders, your brain physiology does change, but when we normalize, we do like emotional patterns of thought like kind of level out you don't get these um spikes in mood um all sorts of like reward patterns kind of normalize again um one of the things that they find is your amygdala which is like your emotional network um sends out more signals to your prefrontal cortex which is the kind of um the area of your brain where you make decisions and this can kind of override um normal decision making Um, so we find ourselves with eating disorders making more emotionally based decisions Mm. but actually with recovery um this kind of levels out a lot more um so you can like your recovery is reshaping your brain um and i think that is quite a fascinating a fascinating thing and and, you know in your environment as part of that the the things that you you watch the things that you read the the people you hang around with are all part of that Um, and i think that is an incredibly fantastic part of psychology that i love um you know
0: it's really interesting it's really and it's nice how it's like applicable like it's it's it kind of transfers across quite easily And, and like just the one that that stands out to me is um a huge um difference was made to my own mental health when i unfollowed all like the bodybuilding accounts that i used to follow and things just because i wouldn't sit there and like look at them and be like oh that's different to me that's different to me but just scrolling through and seeing all these like shredded massive like muscle bound people i just started to think that was the norm and i didn't look like that so you know and now that i don't see that every day I, i'm definitely like way better with my own kind of body image
1: And I I agree, I I resonate with that because that's the trap I got into during my undergrad. I I was recovered, but I was also a member of bodybuilding.com and I was like, you know, everything I was doing was still... It wasn't eating disorder, but it was still in this kind of bubble, this middle ground of disordered eating. Because there is a difference, mm. um, but it's still it's still not healthy. And um, again, changing that online environment, I think, is is crucial, is real essential. And I think it's something that they should be teaching in PSE lessons in school, um, because it's only going to get more prevalent. Um, this online environment is only going to become a, a more a more used thing for our generation. I mean. If I had kids now, they they'd all want Kindles and iPads and yeah. things, wouldn't they? I yeah. mean, it's just that wasn't a thing when we were young. Probably like I had the old school Nokia and I could play Snake, but <laughs> there was just not enough information being bombarded at me from a young enough age.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so, and I think that that's important. I think that's something that it definitely needs is a good area of research as well.
0: Mm. It's so it's so often on this podcast that like obviously. You're, what we I often talk about with people um is disordered eating or mental health um around especially around the fitness industry and exercise and nutrition and, and sport and so often the talk goes on to social media and I think and it I think you know or like it's just because it just it shows to me that it is just such a an effector and something that's that's playing such a negative impact in in people's lives and it's something that even if you think it's not affecting you it probably is in some kind of way yeah. and you should and just
1: going quickly back to like the values thing for me i found the break away from social media really helped me again because i, I find i also surround myself in a lot of people who are very work orientated and uh, a lot of people i don't know a lot of girls who maybe have like published XYZ and are running their own business. And I find it really overwhelming. It's like this whole, Oh, but I'm 28 and I I'm not earning my own business and I haven't got a full time job. And um, it, it makes you, it makes me compare. And I realized that actually for me to be successful and to thrive is to not focus on them and to actually just focus on me. And, um, and I found that this January that's been really refreshing and, um, you know if people want to contact me they they know my number my email address is on my instagram so they can reach out they can contact me um but it's just it's been nice to have a break and just kind of yeah mm. get to know myself again almost
0: and that yeah i think that's a that's a great um kind of Signing off note for the podcast. I think that's really, really good. Um, I've just I've just quickly brought up because I completely forgot because I haven't done a podcast in so long. And um, with guests now, I try and ask these three questions at the end. Um, Ooh, like- <laughs> um, so question one is one person, real or fictional, who has inspired you in your life.
1: Oh, okay. This is going to sound really cheesy. It's my grandma. Ah. My grand, no, she was an amazing woman. Um, and she ran, she did like, she set up her own men's cookery course. The first one, because back in those days, like women didn't really do much other than housework. Mm. But she set up her own cookery course. She was like one of the members of Guildford and Bloom, and they've even got an award named after her now. Wow. Um, she was someone who was like, we were always amazed. She was just loved by everyone. Like, <laughs> It was like everyone knew my grandma and everyone was like, even when she was 95, people were just taking her out for meals, like picking her up. She famously had Dorothy's boys who were just like these men that she used to teach who just loved her, who would just invite her around with their wives for like meals and stuff. She was just, she was just loved by so many. And I think that's just such a lovely quality to have is just being, just being loved. is just being known as someone who works hard and is just makes a difference in the areas that she found important. And yeah, she, yeah, she was great. Amazing, she was, yeah. And she supported my grandma. My granddad had manic depression and she was just his number one support the whole way through his life. And, and I, I never knew until after they'd passed that this was a thing and mm. uh, just always the happiest times for them. So my grandma.
0: Oh, that's, that's a lovely answer. She sounds wonderful. Um, question two is a moment in your life that you didn't like at the time but looking back now you know that positives came from it
1: oh actually do you know what i think it's my time spent on the ships because it was one of those things where my life looked so glamorous to people on social media working on cruise ships is hard Mm-hmm. and it was such a lonely time and I really had such a good work ethic Like a lot of people go to cruise ships to party and I really wanted to put my heart and soul into the youth work and, and get to know and make a difference and I think I wasn't aware of the, the cult, cultural differences between Britain and America I thought it would be like one and the same and it was harder than I thought and it really tested my mental health and it tested my resilience because we worked long hours Mm. um and it was a lot of the times I rang home and I would be in tears and I'd be like I'm just not having fun and I'm supposed to be having fun um but actually looking back I don't think I've changed the ships that I worked on or the people I met or the work that I did so
0: yeah that's a good answer good answer I think I think I love that question because I think it 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 gives maybe some people listening who think they're in a shit place and they're really struggling. Um, it shows, you know, sometimes you do come out of them and you think, Oh, actually it was, yeah. it was a good thing. And
1: yeah, there's always a teachable moment.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and the last one, which is, I think is the, is the, is the, the hardest one possibly. Um, question three, a phrase to live by.
1: Um, do you know what? I, I don't know if this is just because this is one I, I use a lot at the moment and kind of tell myself. It's not it's not a great phrase. I'm really sorry. It's nothing like it's gonna leave people feeling philosophical and thoughtful, but <laughs> less is more.
0: It's good. Just
1: less is more. I think the more that I've tried to just focus on just like two or three things a day that I want to do and sometimes just nothing, you know, less is more, less, time off. Can be just as valuable as time switched on and and being productive like Mm. definitely less is more just focusing on on a couple of things um instead of trying to do everything all in one go like not worth it
0: that's something i need to i need to work on so that's a good good phrase in my book Um, it's definitely something i need to like you were saying it's all or nothing with me um i'm either i'm either doing literally nothing at all and just lying there and watching netflix or i'm um, working like four jobs and trying yeah. to make something trying to do something trying to change someone yeah. trying to well i'm just constantly doing stuff um okay. so yeah
1: you and me both <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay well um thank you very much joss for being on today i uh, hope you enjoyed yourself
1: yeah thank you very much for having me it's always a pleasure
0: um just to to sign off can you let people know um where they can find you maybe like your instagram account or etc etc
1: yes i'm on instagram at honey are you happy um and also just on instagram i think it's just enjoy that's like my personal account um and twitter i use a lot more as joss walden and yeah they're the kind of two socials i use the most the twitter i use most for i talk a lot about eating disorders on there and a lot about kind of more research and academia stuff so um yeah
0: are awesome. links to your links to your blog on those as well i think they are aren't they
1: um yes both of them have links to my blog which i haven't written on in a wee while but there's still some great resources. yeah there's still some really
0: good stuff on there so i think people should, yeah, definitely people should go check there. it out awesome Amazing. Oh, thank you very much um and thank you everyone for listening i'll speak to you on the next one bye thank you so much for listening to that episode here at my minds we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast so please if you can give it a share each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that Also, if you want to check out myminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.